We're very thankful for the privilege to get to worship with you here. My wife and I are a couple of country folks, a couple of hillbillies has gone, gone through the city. And we're just delighted that you're a Bethel spot so that we could stop and uh, have the pleasure to worship with this portion of the family of God that we truly expect to spend eternity with. So it's wonderful that we can have the privilege and the opportunity to get an early start. And though we um, are plagued by sin and we, our praise is imperfect, we're thankful that God has provided us the Bethel spots over this nation and we have the privilege to worship with you here. Uh, I love your pastor. I've known him for some years and we haven't had the opportunities to, opportunities to be together as we would love to, but that... Um, Solution will be remedied one day, and we're very thankful for uh, this opportunity. The wife and I lived on the West Coast and pastored the church and right almost by the water's edge on the West Coast and worked with the churches up and down the West Coast. And then again, a, a country boy had gone to the city, but we pastored a little church in South Central Arkansas and wonderful little group of people there. We're privileged to labor with them, and most of all, they labor with me. I solicit your prayers for a few moments, what time we might stand before you. This, again, wasn't my plans. I'm looking forward to help hearing uh, Brother Stephen. But I'll call our attention to a couple of verses of Scripture. Uh, that is an Old Testament Scripture that is uh, repeated in the New Testament twice by two different people. So that should tell us that it's very important if it is, if it is uh, reported or quoted two times by two different people. And then we want to look at a very important word that we oftentimes take for granted in the first verse of the second chapter of the book of Hebrews. We have the Apostle Peter uh, defending uh, the movement that is taking place in the New Testament as God is using the apostles to establish the New Testament church and, and set it in order in the way that we have it today. And thanks be unto uh, the saints of God that has kept the faith and has kept the order of the church and the manner in which it is, was established in the New Testament by the apostles. And the uh, apostle Peter quoted a verse of scripture found, I believe it's in Deuteronomy 18, that a prophet shall the Lord thy God raise up unto thee of your brethren, like unto me, a hymn shall ye hear. Now, we go over here to the seventh chapter of the book of Acts, and we have Stephen, who is defending the faith and, and is being stoned for, uh, for uh, his belief in the truth of the word of God. And he quotes the, the scripture again. Moses uh, uh, saith a prophet shall the Lord thy God raise up un, un, unto you of your brethren like unto me him shall you hear in all things that he saith okay so I think it's vital that whoever he's talking about here <clears throat> of course we know who he's talking about he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ that it's kind of vital that we give ear to what he is saying now we go over here into the first verse of the second chapter of the book of Hebrews, and he makes this statement. Therefore, 
we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Well, what's the word therefore, therefore? Every time we see the word therefore, it's pointing us back to something that's already been said. And it's necessary that we get what has been said and take the therefore, consider it, and then move on. So we go back to the very first verse of the Hebrew letter. And the Hebrews is probably my favorite of all the epistles. Because I imagine the book of Hebrews as a, uh, as, as a gemologist, as he takes his little glass and he holds the gem up into his uh, uh, sight in his, in his light and just, and just jumps back at the beauty of it. That, that's the way the book of Hebrews comes across to me, that it has so many facets. You see, what makes a, a gem valuable is that, and there may be a gemologist here, I don't know, uh, but what makes it valuable is it's uh, many different facets. Well, the book of Hebrews, is, 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 uh, it, it, it glitters from every direction. And he starts out this epistle by saying, God, who in sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. Moses was one of them. But he hath in these last days spoken unto us by and by or through his son whom he appointed heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds. So it is, it is God that's doing the speaking in, by, or through his son, and he's appointed heir of all things. And by the way, <clears throat> all things means all things. He, the son of God, the son of God, is appointed heir of all things. Now, if you want to know what awaits you, the Apostle Paul makes the statement in Romans chapter 8 that we've been made heirs of God and then joint heirs with Christ Jesus. So whatever Christ the Son has inherited, we've inherited. And friends, that gives you something to look forward to, some motivation. He appointed him heir of all things by whom he also made the worlds. In other words, he's the creator. And while scare tactics go all the time of, of, of us destroying the world, it doesn't belong to us, that we're causing global warming. Friends, he's got the thermostat. He can, uh, he can control the, the uh, temperature to whatever he pleases. One day he is going to turn it up, but he's going to deliver his people out of it. He made the world... Uh, um, he appointed him heir of all things, by whom he also made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the expressed image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. Meaning, he's, he's still in control of it. All of his creation, be it the farthest planets, be it the farthest uh, 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 atmospheres, whatever it might be, he's still in control of it all. It all belongs to him. He created it, and, and he's in control of it. It says, being the brightness of his glory, the expressed image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. Listen to this, friends. When he had by himself, he didn't have any help. He didn't need any help. There wasn't any help. He said, I looked and there was none to help. I wondered and there was none to uphold. Therefore, mine own arm brought salvation unto me. And my fury had upheld me. By himself purged our sins 
And after having done that, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That's where he is today. That's where he is making intercession for you and me. Praise be unto God. Being made so much better than the angels, as he had by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Then he asked the question. You see, somebody is spooking them with some uh, some myth uh, some myths that are uh, uh, that are are distracting his people. And he says, um, "For which of the angels saith he at any at any time, Thou art my son this day." Have I begotten thee? Well, there's nowhere in their scripture could they find a quote that was to an angel that said, This day have I begotten thee. But it did to the son. Uh, <clears throat> then he makes the statement, And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith... Let all the angels of God worship him. But of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angel spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. You say, well, how is his ministers a flame of fire? Well, <clears throat> you've heard of fire-breathing preachers? Well, sometimes you have to get a little hot on us. The preacher has to get a little hot on us with the word of God to burn away some dross that we can be... Uh, vessels under the uh, service of God, uh, under the praise and honor glo uh, and the glory of God. Uh, sometimes the preacher has to get a little uh, hard and a little hot, even though he can still do it in love. It sometimes that's what we need is to burn away the dross. That's at least what I get out of that verse of scripture. But unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. Thou has loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with oil of gladness above thy, thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hath laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens, the works of thy hands. They shall perish. That's right. This earth that we live on is going to perish. But he has another one prepared. And they shall perish, but thou remainest. They shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture thou shalt fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same. Praise be unto God. We don't wake up one morning, and God's in a different mood. Or that, that, that he's changed his mind. He says, I am God, and I change not. Praise be unto God. We, we worship a God that cannot, he has no need to change. He's perfect. As a vesture thou shalt fold them up and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, thou art the same and, thy, and, thy, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels saith he at any time, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister unto them that shall be heirs of salvation? What he has just laid the, uh, laid the foundation of this particular epistle is very important that we give ear to this one that Moses prophesied of. Therefore, 
Since God has spoken through his son, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, meaning the giving of the law to Moses, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Friends, a lot of God's people are turning a deaf ear to the one that's spoken and neglecting a wonderful, great salvation. And of course, it happened to this generation of people. It happened to this generation of people that they forfeited their, their wonderful privilege to enjoy the salvation that you and I rejoice in, I trust daily. May we be careful to give a good, earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels is steadfast, never transgress, and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which first began to be spoken by our Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, diverse miracles, and a gift of the Holy Ghost. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us, to, to guard us, to keep us, to intercede for us, to protect us. If we, if, we, if we do not neglect this wonderful salvation. May God help us to encourage one another. To stay steadfast, always abiding in the faith. May God bless you here at this church and your pastor whom we love dearly. May, may God bless you. sure would appreciate a continued interest in your prayers. Want to continue on with the thought that we looked at a couple of weeks ago out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Appreciate the good message that uh, Elder Strickland has brought forth and ask that you pray that the Lord would continue to be with us for just a few minutes. There's a principle that we looked at that is carried throughout the scriptures and it's emphasized right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Um, and we looked at some examples, and I want to mention one more, and then we'll sort of dive into the second chapter right here. And it also is supported in the second chapter through what we're going to look at. We're taught that uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29, that God arranges things, God designs things, God arranges all things in such a way that no flesh, that's you and I, that's our natural man, should glory in ourselves. That no flesh should glory in his presence. And then in verse 31, it says, according as it is written, that he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. He's just simply saying right here that God has all power and we don't have any power. The, any strength that we have comes from God and we give him all the glory for it. We looked at creation and we saw that God created man last. That man comes on the scene after God had created everything else. And very likely one reason that God did it the way he did is so that he gets the glory for it. It's unquestionable. There's not any doubt in our mind or the minds of others that we assisted God in creation. God did it and then he brings us on the scene after that. 
We looked at salvation and we see how that in salvation, God redeems us and he does it solely and completely by himself without the assistance or aid of men or anyone else. And he does it in such a way that he gets all the glory. We also looked at the deliverances that we experience here in this life. And we realize the blessings and the, uh, the deliverances that we experience here in this life that we have to turn around and we have to give God all the glory for that. One other element that I want to mention right here that I believe that probably the way that God designed the church the way he did this little simple nucleus of backward people sometimes to come together and just simply sing songs of Zion, uh, pray to the Lord and then hear a message by sometimes folks that are uh, less than eloquent. I being one of the first that the, that God designed it in such a way that no flesh should glory in his presence. In the church of Jesus Christ, God designed it in a simple fashion so that he gets all the glory. So we're not to glory in the presence of the Lord, but he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Now, the first chapter of Corinthians, Corinthians, the, the, the letter that Paul writes to the church at Corinth, as you begin to read through it, it's a church that has a whole lot of challenges. But Paul expresses his love for them and his care for them, and he desires that they will prosper and grow in the Lord. And so he brings to light the areas that he feels like through the inspired uh, message that God gave him to help these folks at Corinth. And that's what God's word is for. It's to help us along the way. It's to help us to get through the week. It's to help us deal with the challenges that we face in our life. It's to help us to live a more godly life. It's not to help us get to heaven. If you're uh, heaven bound, that's because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And he gets the glory for that. But the Bible does help us get through this life. It really does. So chapter two tells us a little bit about how we hear. It does. And in fact, God's designed how we hear the gospel message. God's designed even that in such a way that he gets the glory. Now, I learned a long time ago that it's very important to know what your job description is. If you have employees, it's very important that your employees know what their job description is. And if you have an employee or you yourself are trying to do something that you're not qualified to do. Or that you're not supposed to do. It can begin to get a little bit frustrating. And sometimes as ministers, we might embrace the thought that there were some things that we're to help God do. That's totally God's responsibility to do. I'm totally convinced that we're to do all we can do and we're to use the gifts and talents that God's given us. And he might just give us more if we use what he's given us. But we are not to use our talents and gifts to do God's job. 
By the way, Brother Mike, you and Sister Judy are on the top of the prayer list. I missed two prayer requests this morning. One was Mike and Judy, and uh, I remembered it when I saw Brother Mike here. Please pray for Mike and Judy with the upcoming surgeries. The second one, please pray for my family. We're in the middle of moving them from Texas to Maryland. Uh, I had all these written down, and then I couldn't even remember by looking at the notes. So pray for Mike and Judy. Continue to hold them up in prayer. But we get we get frustrated and we get distraught if we're trying to do something that's not that we're not capable of doing or that we're not supposed to be doing. We should do all we know to do in the context of what we're supposed to do, but we're not supposed to do what God does. God is the one that gives spiritual life. And God does it without the aid or assistance of anyone, including the gospel message by the minister. By the time that the gospel message finds a lodging place in the heart of the child of God, God has already been there first and given spiritual life. And by the way, that individual is heaven bound. In fact, If you want to know when they were heaven bound, you begin to turn the clock back and you begin to discover that their names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life from before the foundation of the world. And in the mind and purpose of God, they're just as heaven bound. It's not when you believe. It's not when you accept Christ as your Savior. It's not. It's when God thought of you from before the foundation of the world and inscribed your name in his book. And he says that uh, uh, John looked and he was a little bit distraught because he looked and he said, I've sought and I've tried to find somebody that could open the seals and to loose the seals and to look thereon." So no man can add to that book or take away from that book. It's a secure number of folks that God in his mind thought about from before the foundation of the world. Now I tend to believe, I tend to have a great deal of assurance that that's a vast number. It's compared to the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. It's not just a little handful of old Baptists or Baptists in general or Christians in general, but God has a people out of every nation, kindred, tongue. And you know, he knows where they are and who they are. So he comes on down and he tells us that in order for you to hear the gospel, not talking about just hearing it audibly, but hearing it and finding a lodging place in your heart, it takes a whole lot more than fair speech and eloquent words and the wisdom and logic of men. God designed it in that way so that God gets the glory. So not only that we see in the first part of chapter one is not only is our salvation of God, but even our knowledge of, And appreciation of salvation is of God. And it takes something, and he describes it right here, supernatural. Something other than ourself. Something more than our ability to have an appreciation 
and an understanding of the things of God. He's just simply saying right here that, Brother Stephen, you are not going to convince somebody about me without me. And in fact, I'm going to have to go there first before you get there. And I'm going to have to tender their heart. And I'm going to have to put an interest of my things in their heart before you get there. Or they're not going to receive the message. And here's, I'm kind of telling you, you know, this tells you kind of how old I am. Some of these young folks, I, I mentioned folks that, that, um, that, that I knew, uh, uh, Paul Harvey. They don't even know who Paul Harvey is. I mean, that uh, Paul Harvey would say, and this is the rest of the story. Well, I kind of gave you the rest of the story before we get into it right here. But that, when, when folks don't know who Lucille Ball is and Paul Harvey and Bob Hope and all that, I mean, you know, I, I just don't understand that. Brother Danny says sometimes, Brother Stephen, we're not even in the same zone. (laughs) Well, if y'all can kind of zone in with me for a few minutes here on chapter two, there's some really good stuff right here. Really good stuff. And I, brethren, when I came to you, Paul is saying right here, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Paul is saying, when I came to you, when I began to talk about the things of God, When I began to teach about the things of God, he knew a lot of the writings of the Greek philosophers. He knew a lot of the history and he had a great deal of knowledge. But he said, that's not how I'm approaching you. That's not how I'm coming to you. He said he could probably argue their case better than they could. Uh, Sister Eileen and I knew uh, a a dear old brother in... uh, in West Texas, Brother Harvey Bass, and he knew the scriptures backwards and forwards, and and he knew them so well that he could take the opponent's position and argue their point probably better than they could. I mean, he was very, very knowledgeable. Paul knew their position, and Paul could argue their point better than they could, but he said, I'm not coming to you with a great deal of knowledge. He said, I'm coming to you, and he'll tell us how he comes. He says, first of all, I come to you and I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And he said, in my speech and my preaching, this is interesting how Paul says this right here. This doesn't mean that you don't do the best you can to deliver the message. It doesn't mean that you try to use the proper words and the the proper terms and the proper speech to deliver a message. But what it does mean is that it takes something more than that. It does. Paul said, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but it was in demonstration of the spirit and of power. What Paul is saying right here is that To bring a message that's going to have a lodging place in the heart of God's people. That it takes something other than enticing words, appropriate words, appropriate presentation. It takes the Holy Spirit of God. Now God, uh, the, the Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples 
That when he was leaving, he said, soon I'm going to be going to the cross. I'm going to be giving my life. But he says, I am going to leave with you. I'm going to leave in my absence something that's going to be very, very valuable to you. He says, I'm going to leave the comforter, which is, as he begins to describe in John chapter 14, is the Holy Spirit of God. It takes the Holy Spirit of God. To bless with the preaching of the gospel. It takes the Holy Spirit of God to bless us to have a hearing ear for the gospel. It takes the Holy Spirit of God to touch our hearts and to touch our minds. And give us a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. And that's what Paul's saying right here. He says, I can't convince you with my enticing words. I can't convince you with all the poems that the Greeks have written that I know about. I can't convince you with my wealth of knowledge. It's going to take something other than what I have. Look what he says. He said in power, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. But he says, but in the power of God, how be it? We speak wisdom uh, among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of the world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes. I think this is really good right here uh, in in verse eight. He says, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He said, if they had the knowledge that you have. If they had the knowledge from an intellectual standpoint about who Christ was, about the purpose of Jesus Christ, they themselves would not have crucified Christ. I I love this next verse. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, Neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Recently heard a minister. It was a wonderful, wonderful message. And he talked about the things that God had promised for his people. He said, you know, sometimes I go through seasons of discouragement. And he ran over to the Old Testament prophet David, where David said that he had encouraged himself in the Lord. I ran over to the Apostle Paul, where it says that all men have forsaken me. But Paul says, yet the Lord stood and strengthened me. I tell you something that encourages you no matter where you are in life. A lot of the Lord, it's reality. That a lot of the Lord's people face seasons of discouragement. Some folks may be more prone to that. I mean, I I won't deny that some of us, our makeup might be more prone to discouragement. But everybody experiences it at some point in time. But I'll tell you something that will encourage you in addition to the promises of God. As you start thinking about this verse right here. He said the 
eye has the eyes not seen, the ear has not heard. He says it's not even fully revealed to man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Let me just ask you, do you love the Lord? If you do, he's prepared a whole lot of wonderful things for you. And by his spirit, he's going to reveal some of them to you while you're here along the way. And that's going to help you get just a little further down the road until the Lord calls you home. For but God. Now, that ought to tell us a whole lot. It doesn't say but the preacher or but the evangelist. Or the mom or the dad. Elder O. Strickland was the pastor at Medlin Chapel in uh, Graham, Texas, the old, one of the oldest churches in Texas. And he taught his children from early in the morning until late in the afternoon. This was probably a hundred years ago about the things of the Lord. And somebody approached him and said, Elder Strickland, why do you do that? You don't know if they're going to be called of the Lord or not. You don't know if God's going to quicken your children at some point in their life. And, and why are you putting such effort in teaching your children about the things of the Lord? And he responded and he said, you're exactly right. I don't know. But when the Lord gets ready for them, I've got them ready as much as I can on my part. And the Lord touches their heart. They're going to have an immediate appreciation about the things of of God doesn't doesn't negate our duty in teaching about the Lord we don't know who the Lord's going to quicken I pray he'll quicken every one of your children I, I, I know that that's his that's in his sovereign design but when he quickens them and you and they've been under a steady diet of the of the teaching of God's word they're going to have an immediate rejoicing in the Lord. Here he comes down and he says, but God, we could stop right there. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. Hebrews chapter eight tells us that he writes his laws in our heart and in our minds. And he says that he will be to, uh, he didn't say I might or I hope to be or I'd like to be. That's not the God that we serve. He says, I will be to them a God. And he says, and they shall be to me a people. When he states it, it's just as good as done. 100% effective all the time. So here he tells us, but God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit for the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. 
For what, for, what man, for what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. I believe what he's saying right here is that we've got to have the spirit of God in our heart and in our life and have an, uh, an appreciation for God before we understand or appreciate the things of God. So I believe what he's saying right here is it just simply takes a work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And I believe that not only does it take an initial work of the Holy Spirit in giving us life, but it takes the work of the Holy Spirit to continue to bless us as we live here in this life. We ought to be praying for more manifestations of the Holy Spirit to be poured out among us in the day in which we live. The Holy Spirit is just as powerful and effective as it's ever been. Sometimes when we're singing the songs of Zion, the Holy Spirit kicks in and blesses our souls. And we can say, you know what? That's talking about me. And there's something that's ministering to me on the inside. Here he comes down. And he says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things which are freely given to us of God. He's basically saying right here that the Holy Spirit enables us to understand the things of God. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now I want to get the next three verses really, really good. But let's look at this one just a little bit more. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. We read God's word and it bears witness with the spirit that we have in our heart. But it's the Holy Ghost that teaches us we're a sinner. It's, there's a whole lot of emphasis put on belief. I believe you ought to believe in Christ. I believe you should and it'll be a blessing to you. And you'll be, receive many, many blessings for your hope and belief in Christ. But it's the Holy Spirit that causes you to believe in Christ. It is. You don't believe first and then get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes first. And then you believe. The Holy Spirit comes first and teaches you that you're a sinner. The Holy Spirit comes before you and teaches you your need for a Savior. The Holy Spirit comes and teaches you that you need to know how to live here in this life. That, that uh, Somebody told Brother Afton Richards, my pastor that's been with the Lord now a long, long time. But he said, if I believed like you did, if I believed the doctrines of grace like you believed, he said, I would go out and sin all I want to. Brother Afton responded and he said, if you believe the doctrines of grace like I believed, you'd already realize that you're a much greater sinner than you want to be. And you need a savior. It's the Holy Spirit that teaches you your need for him. Verse 14. But the natural man. What's the natural man? 
Don't you sometimes get discouraged with that natural man? I don't get, get discouraged about you all because I'm too busy getting discouraged about myself. Here he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, four this is how he describes it. He says, for which cause we faint not that though our outward man, that's the natural man, that's this physical man, that's the, that's the, uh, the tabernacle that we have, that's the, this body of clay that we have separate from the spiritual man. He says, for which cause we faint not that though our outward man perish. And by the way, it's the natural man that perishes. Oftentimes when we take prayer requests, we're praying because there's the uh, reality that this natural man is perishing. We don't like it to perish. We try to hinder it. My mother said, you sure are getting a whole lot of wrinkles. Well, that's the natural man. I mean, that, it's pretty bad when your mother tells you that. But that's just the effect of the natural man. I do not like selfies. I don't know about you all, but I mean, I hate to think I look as bad as I do in a selfie. But it's because the natural man is perishing. But I tell you what, I've got some good news for me and some good news for you. That even though that natural man, that outward man is perishing, we've got something that just gets better and better. And it's that inward man on the inside. And he says that even though the natural man perish yet, and, and, and though we faint not though our natural man perish, the outward man perish, yet he says, and this is so good, he says, yet the inward man, it's renewed day by day. And the good news is that no matter how long we live, that that inward man is just as strong as it's ever been. No matter how much the natural man, the outward man begins to perish. Yet that inward man is stronger and stronger. That is the spiritual man on the inside. It is. I've got three minutes and I want to just wrap it up really, really quick here. But uh, I want to I share this, this, uh, this example of the outward man and the inward man so that you can see the comparison of the natural man and the inward man, which is the spiritual man. Brother Jesse, Sister Eileen and I had a dear, dear, dear friend in common. Wonderful brother in the Lord. Loved to sing, taught singing schools all around the country. Some of you may have heard about him. Brother David McLeod may have. Brother Harvey Bass, great, great singer. He could stand up in front of a crowd and command a crowd of five, six hundred people and lead singing with great zeal and great enthusiasm. And it was honoring to the Lord. And he taught many singing schools through the year. In one of my travels back years ago, Brother Dwayne Schaefer said, let's stop by and see. He called him Uncle Harvey. Hadn't seen him in a number of years. He was in a nursing home at that time. And we found him and this man who had been so robust and so strong and so able was now reduced to just a little more than uh, a skeleton of bones stooped over in a wheelchair. We tried to talk to him about his family. We tried to talk to him about the weather. We tried to talk to him about uh, some scriptures. Nothing clicked whatsoever. His mind had deteriorated. His body was failing. Probably about 85, 90 years old. 
And then all of a sudden, Elder Schaefer said, Uncle Harvey, do you have a song on your heart? Again, no response. We're about to get ready to leave, begin to wrap up our visit. Seemed like minutes, maybe it was not that long. And all of a sudden, just above a whisper, he started singing Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. Let me tell you that even though this outward man perishes, that inward man is renewed day by day. That inward man's just getting closer and closer and more ready to going on home to heaven. And it knows about the things of the Lord. Well, let's hit the last two verses here. So good. So good. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they, he says, in fact, he said, you can preach to them. You can, you can try to reveal it to them. But he says, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him. This is, this is a powerful verse right here. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. He says next, their foolishness unto him. And he says, and neither can he know them. He doesn't even have the ability to know them. He says, because they are spiritually discerned. How do we become spiritually alive? We become spiritually alive by the Holy Spirit of God. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? And then I think this is really, really good how Paul sums it up. But he says, but we have the mind of Christ. Still a lot of mysteries that we don't know. But we do know something about Christ. We may not know a whole lot. Brother Mark, you remember when your sister came and she sat through service and she said, I didn't know how much I didn't know. Well, that's kind of how we are right here. There's a lot we don't know. But we we do know a few things. We know... That he loves us and that we love him. And we know that we need a savior. And we have a belief and a hope that he is our savior. And that he represented us. And we know that when we get really discouraged and down here in this life, that there's something better coming. Brother Brother Al Perry used to say, what a day that will be. What a day that will be when I'll see Jesus. God has designed it in such a way. Even not only spiritual life, but even an understanding about the things of God. The wonderful gospel message that it also takes the working of the Holy Spirit to appreciate the things of God. And for the child of God, if we're one of His, we have the blessing of having the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ said, I'm going away. 
but I'm leaving with you a comforter. And that comforter is the Holy Spirit. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You have a hope and a belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're glad you've been able to listen to this special podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.